This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, today is kind of a unique day. I'm so glad that you have decided to join us online. Um, as you know, this week, President Trump declared a national emergency uh, related to the coronavirus. And, uh, and so you've probably experienced a lot of alterations in your life already. Probably gone to Walmart and saw that there's no toilet paper available. And uh, thank God for Josh Meisner, who do- donated some to my son last night. That's awesome. Um, that was great. Uh, we were able to have some at our ho- more at our house that we needed. But, uh, and you know, we've been affected in many different ways. In a couple, I was supposed to be flying out in a couple of weeks to Thailand. And, uh, and so uh, that, that trip for the missions conference was canceled. Uh, my daughter, who is currently right now at the uh, Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, she was supposed to come home on spring break, not this coming week, but the week after was going to be her spring break. But um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the superintendent called all the, all the cadets together this past Friday and basically dismissed the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors for two weeks and canceled the spring break for the seniors. So we won't get to see her this week. So all of us are being affected at some level or another. But what I'd like to say, and I really appreciate the song that we just sung it as well, is that God is still on the throne, okay? And so if, uh, if you're feeling alarmed, if you're feeling strong, just lean into your faith, lean into a God who knows exactly what's happening here on earth. He's not caught by surprise. He's not... He's not worried. He's not wringing his hands up in heaven saying, what am I going to do about coronavirus? He knows exactly what's going on. And all you have to do is simply lean into him and trust him. You know, practice good hygiene, you know, keep some social distance and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, pray and seek God and ask for his peace and his joy in your life. And so, uh, so anyways, that's, that's what's happening. But you know what? We don't have to despair because God is with us. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to, even though we're doing something very unique, very different, we're not actually having public services for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're only having online services. We decided that we're just going to move forward with our online services and going to move forward with our, our, our sermon series that we were going to start this week called Don't Quit. And that's clearly a message that all of us need to hear, the message of not quitting. I mean, over the years of pastoring, um, this is one of those pieces of advice that seem to be giving all the time to people, um, whether it's because I'm being caught in between services and having, hearing somebody's you know, story of struggle, or whether it's because um, you know, I'm somebody sitting in my office and they're telling me about their struggles, or whether I'm in a coffee shop and I'm hearing about a struggle. It seems like over and over and over again, what comes out of my mouth is, hey, listen, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Press in, press in. I mean, I think all of us from time to time need to hear this message of not quitting. In fact, this idea of not quitting is, is, is something that, that separates us as Christians because as Christians, we, you know, we should be known for our determination, for our endurance, for our perseverance. I mean, that's the difference that faith makes in our life. We have a faith that God is doing something that we cannot see. We have a faith that God is working in ways that we don't understand. And because that's true, we also have a faith that will allow us and help us and give us the confidence to not quit. So in this series, what I want to do is I want to talk about three particular areas of not quitting. 
Um, over the next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about three distinct areas of not quitting. And the reason why we're going to talk about these is because I have, I've come to, to, to discover, I've come to learn that um, there are these big, big blocks in our life that, that if those things, if we were to give up on those things, they have a way of really impacting so many other areas of our life. The three areas that we're going to be talking about not quitting is not quitting on your marriage. And we'll get to that in just a second. But we're also going to talk about not quitting on, on each other. In other, words, in other words, the relationships that we have with other people. Sometimes it's so easy for us to walk away from those relationships. And I want to challenge you to not quit on your relationships, not quit on each other. And then the last Sunday of this series, we're going to talk about not quitting on God. Now, before I get into talking about marriage, I just want to acknowledge a few things. I want to acknowledge... <clears throat> To those of you that are listening to me right now, if you've been divorced, that maybe you hear me say, don't quit on marriage, and and you begin to brace yourself, (laughs) and you're beginning to feel a little nervous about this sermon, you begin to worry that that Pastor Rich is going to, you know, just drop the bomb on you, and I just want you to relax, I want you to take a deep breath, I want you to know that I'm glad you're here, I'm glad that you're a part of Life Church, Um, we love you, Jesus loves you. You're not less deserving of God's grace than anybody else, and none of us are defined by what we have done. None of us are defined by what has been done to us. All of us are defined by what has been done for us, and what has been done for us is that Jesus went to the cross, died on that cross, and he's made a way for each and every one of us to have a relationship with him, and that's what, where I, our identity comes from, is for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so Jesus embraces you, we embrace you, and as a church, if we discover that, that in your marriage you're struggling, we just want you to know that we're going to walk alongside you. We're going to love you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to try to do everything we can to help you fight for your marriage. We, we are going to point you to God's word because we believe that God's word is a roadmap to help us navigate this very, very important relationship we call marriage. And if you've been rejected or ostracized because you've been divorced, I just want you to know that I'm very sorry that you've experienced that. But I want you also to know that we love you and that we're glad you're a part of this. We understand that the story of your divorce is not a simple story. I mean, I understand that it takes two people to get married, but it only takes one person to want to get a divorce. And so I understand that all of us are in this same boat. All of us need God's grace. All of us need to be dependent upon God's grace. There's no room in this place for self-righteousness or judgment. And so the challenge over the next few minutes for those of us who are married is, and maybe you're barely hanging on to your marriage is, will you not quit? Will you not quit on your marriage? Oftentimes, messages on marriage tend to be pretty prescriptive, you know. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. Like if you go to a doctor and you have a sinus infection, you expect that doctor to give you a prescription, right? Like you expect them to give you an antibiotic to deal with a sinus infection. You expect that doctor to to maybe say, hey, go buy buy Walmart and pick up a, a decongestant, maybe take some days of rest. You expect that. I mean, you expect the doctor to be prescriptive because it's helpful. And often that's how we talk about marriage. 
We talk about marriage as being this kind of this, like there's these prescriptions that we're offering, like three keys to communication or six, six secrets to conflict resolution. And, and these are the ways that we talk about, about helping marriages. But here's what I know. And this is based on prayers that we've been receiving here at Life Church. This is based on um, conversations that I'm having. Is that many, many of the marriages that, and of these conversations I'm having, many of those marriages are really in cardiac arrest. And when they're in cardiac arrest, you don't need a prescription. What you need is surgery. And so what I want you to do, and I want to ask you to, to really, as you're listening to this online, is that you will open up your heart. If you're, if you're a person that's in this place right now, I mean online, listening right now, and, and your marriage is struggling, I'm asking you to open up your heart and let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. This message is for you. This message is for the couple that is sitting next to each other right now in that living room or wherever you might be. And you're next to each other, but you're miles apart. And you're struggling. You're struggling. You're not sure that's what you signed up for. And if there was a way out, you would, you would, you would take that way out. This message is for the couple who gave up on their marriage long ago, but they're still married. They're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna get, they're not gonna get divorced. They're gonna stay married. I mean, you're gonna keep those vows even though you're not really in it anymore. Because after all, what would people think? And so this message is for you. This message is for the husband or wife who's sitting, right, whether, like I said, if you're in a living room or maybe you're at a coffee shop or maybe you're sitting in your office and you're listening to this right now, and someone else has caught your attention. And for the first time in a long while, you feel valued and listened to. You feel attractive and admired. You don't feel rejected. You feel alive. And maybe as you're listening to me, you're thinking, man, I, you know, you don't want me or you don't want anybody to tell you to give that up. This message is for you. This message is for the person who has convinced themselves that they married the wrong person. That somewhere out there, there's somebody else that they should have married. Listen, we all know that marriages go through some difficult times. And if you're married, and you're listening to this right now, you know, and you've been married for any length of time, you know that th there's challenges that come to marriages. You know, there's turbulence that happens in our marriages. There would be seasons where there's serious struggle. I mean, statistics, statistics tell us that this happens sometimes between the years of, between the year five and year seven of a marriage, and then it happens again between year 18 and year 20 of a marriage. That there's going to be turbulence, there's going to be challenges that we face. In fact, I, I heard a pastor once talk about when he's marrying people, you know, because they come to him and they're, they're you know, they got these butterflies in their stomach, you know, and they're so excited and they're so, and they're so, so, you know, happy. They're going to get married. They found the man of their dreams or they found the woman of their dreams and they're just excited about this one thing and he just wants to tell them. He said, this is exactly what he said. Do you even know what death do us part means? It means dirty dishes and bounce checks and financial crisis. It means career struggles and time pressures. It means fighting over who watches ESPN and who watches HGTV. It means watching his hairline recede and his waistline advance. <laughs> it means watching the skin under her arms get loose and flabby. 
It means navigating family issues and emotional problems and hormones and health struggles and challenges that you can't even imagine. The reality is about marriage is that it's work. Turbulence will come, when, and when it does, what I'm asking you to do is to not quit, not quit, not quit. One reason for that is simply that God hates divorce. I'm saying God hates divorce, and you're probably thinking, wow, Rich, that's pretty strong words right there. I mean, how can you be so sure that God hates divorce? Well, Malachi 2.16 tells us. I mean, you have it right there. For I hate divorce, God says. God hates divorce. And God hates divorce because he loves you. And if you've ever been divorced, you understand what I'm talking about. Because there's so much pain, there's so much hurt, there's so much damage associated with divorce. That if, you've even, if you yourself have been divorced, you would say, yes, I hate divorce. One of the reasons God hates divorce is that it's tearing apart something that he's joined together. In Mark 10, verse 6 Jesus is speaking, he says, God's plan has been seen from the beginning of creation. In other words, this is from the very beginning, when he made us male and female. This explains why a man leaves, and this word leaves is actually a very strong word in the Greek. It's a word that can be translated abandon. So this is why a man abandons his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united. And that word, again, is another strong word, which it implies weaving together. And so the image here is like weaving together two fabrics. And if after you've, after you've woven together two fabrics, can you imagine how difficult it is to, to, pull, to, to try to, te- to bring them apart without tearing it? It's nearly impossible. In fact, if you try to separate the fabrics, you will tear them apart. You will damage the garment. And so the two are united they're woven together as one body. Now, since they are no longer two, but one, no one should separate them, for God has joined them together. There's a supernatural union that takes place when a man and a woman come together. It's not just a man and his wife. God is involved. God is involved. There's this union that is happening, and, and sex is a physical expression of it, but it's much more than that. There's this emotional, spiritual oneness that takes place, and God is putting that together. And so because God hates divorce, and because he has joined us as husband and wife together, before you quit on that, I'm going to ask you just to do a couple things, all right? Before you you throw in the towel, here's what I'm asking you to do. Number one is fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I believe a lot of disillusionment and disappointment come to our marriage because we are looking to our spouses for what only Jesus can give us. Like if you say to your spouse, I need you to meet my needs. I need you to give me, be my strength. I need you to, I need you to be my, my, my source of joy. I need you to make me happy. Essentially what you're telling your spouse is I need you to be my savior. And here's what you need to understand about that. That's not their job. And if that's what you're asking of them, you're setting yourself up for a guaranteed disappointment. 
I get why this is a struggle for us. I mean, movies and music and culture, pretty much they disciple us into this, that, that you're going to find somebody out there that's going to make you happy. And your ultimate quest is happiness. I, I call it the, the, the Jerry Maguire syndrome, you know? In that movie, Jerry Maguire, where, where he says to, I don't remember the actress's name, but he says, you complete me. Now, the reason we're drawn to that is because there's, there's something true about that, right? There's something true about us being walking through life as not fully whole, not needing completion. But that's not found in a romantic relationship. That's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can actually complete us. That's why in the story in John chapter 4, Jesus makes his way to Samaria and he meets this woman at the well. And this woman, all her life, has been searching for that wholeness, that completeness. All her life. But she's been searching for it in the wrong places. She's been searching for it in men, in relationships. So when Jesus meets her, she's been married five times. And now, she doesn't have those husbands anymore. Now, she's living with somebody else. And when Jesus confronts her, he doesn't say to her, hey, listen, you just, you just been, you've found all the wrong guys. You just haven't met the right one yet. That's not what he says to her. What he says to her is that, listen, what you're looking for, I'm the only one that can give it to you. I am the living water. I am the one that if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. So if your marriage is barely hanging on, I'm going to ask you to do one thing, and that is start, stop looking to that other person start looking to Jesus. Place your focus on Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to ask you to do is to flip the script. I found that when a husband or wife is ready to kind of throw in the towel, to, to quit on their marriage, they're usually reading from a script where, where their spouse, whether it's a wife or their husband, their spouse is the bad guy, and they're the victim. That's the story that they tell. It, it, there's, it, in fact, every single story, when, they, when, I, when I sit down in my office, somebody wants to talk to me and it's about their marriage, almost every single one starts with um, this idea that they have been victimized because their spouse has been the problem. And what happens is they've been reading from that script for so long that, that contempt begins to develop. And they can't look at their spouse without basically feeling contempt. There is absolutely nothing positive about that person. So what if, what if we approach it a little bit differently? I mean, if you ask yourself honestly, you, you've been working, you've been trying, and it's just not going like you want it to go. What if you just try something different? Why don't you just flip that script right now? Why don't you say to God, God, instead of me pointing out everything that he's doing bad or everything that she's doing bad, God, what is it in me that needs to change? What do I need to work on? A good verse for that is Galatians 6, 5. It says, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's, he's talking to these Galatians, and he says, look, each one of us are responsible for our own conduct. This would make a huge difference if we could just decide that I can't change my spouse. I can only change me. I can only work on me. Now, the problem with this, and here's our challenge, is that when, when I just read this verse, as I'm reading this verse, you will, probably, you will probably hear me read the verse, and this is what you were saying. Yeah, he really needs to hear that. Or she really needs to hear that. Because instinctively, that's what we do. 
Instinctively, we, we hear what the, Bible, what the Bible teaches about us being responsible for our own actions, and we don't necessarily immediately apply it to ourselves. We apply it to the person we're married to. They are responsible for their own actions. They're the ones that should be taking care of themselves. They're the ones that should be doing better. And yet, when Paul wrote that, I guarantee you, he was not talking about us examining other people. He was talking directly to us. Each one of us are responsible for our own conduct. Pastor and author Tim Keller, I love what he says. He says, marriage has a way of introducing you to yourself. Have you been married for any length of time? You understand that. I mean, like right after I got married, I realized that I'm more prideful, more selfish, more irritable, irritable more, more undependable than I ever would have thought I would have been. Like me walking into marriage, I, I thought, man, I, I've got my act together. But it wasn't until I got married that I realized, man, I've got a lot of work to do. And so when you're faced with these realities that you have a lot of work to do, when you're faced with the reality of who you are in the marriage, the cowardly approach is to deal with it by saying, it can't be me, it's got to be her. They're the one that needs to change instead of confronting some of the things that we ourselves are, are doing. We blame others. There's a book called Mistakes Were I love the title of this book. Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like, a, like that's exactly what, how, how arguments go in, in marriage relationships. Mistakes were made, but not me. This is a great title, but it's written by Carol Travis, Tavris. She's a, a psychologist and Elliot Aronson. <clears throat> She says, the vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly over time. It's a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. So this, they're saying this, this happens over time, and the characteristic nature of it is that there's blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, talking about, talking about these psychologists, from our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels. So these are the things that when I've had conversations about marriage and difficult marriages, these are the things that warrant getting a divorce. These are the things that they blame for why things are going so bad in their life. He said conflicts and misunderstandings and personality differences and all that kind of stuff, angry quarrels. He says, these are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is the assassin of love. I see something in my spouse that I don't like. I justify my own actions. And I just do that over and over and over again until eventually I realize there's no hope for this marriage. Now, in my mind as Christians, we should have a definite advantage in marriage when it comes to this. I mean, this, these are not Christians who are writing this book. And so as Christians, I think we should have a, an advantage because we've received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I mean, we've already confessed our sin. We've already recognized our own failures and shortcomings. We've already declared, I'm not good enough. I need a savior. We've recognized that we need the grace of God like no, nothing else. And if this is true for us, how can we not give grace to the person that we're married to? Like if we've received it, 
How can we not give it to the person we're married to? I mean, how can we, with one breath, acknowledge that God has kept no record of wrong for me, but then I refuse, I refuse to burn the record of wrong of, that, of my spouse as a Christian because I've been forgiven. How can we celebrate God's grace but then refuse to give and extend grace to, that, to our spouse? I mean, honestly, I think this is really the X factor for for uh, love and marriage in Christian Christian marriages, and that's grace. Grace, grace, grace. This should give us a huge advantage when it comes to marriage. That we can look at at each other through through the eyes of the gospel. Can you imagine that? If you could just look at your wife or look at your husband from the standpoint of how much you have been forgiven... It changes everything. It changes everything. Third thing I want to challenge you with is this, is fight with all your heart. Fight with all your heart. If you fight for your marriage with all your heart, you'll be surprised how your heart can change. I heard a story a couple weeks ago about this Christian attorney that had a client that came to him seeking divorce. She, um, she said her husband had been making her life miserable and she was trying to make his life miserable as well. And now she was just, just tired of it. She was just ready for divorce. And so she came to him and said, I just want a divorce now and I want it to hurt him. I want it to hurt him. And so this, this Christian attorney, he kind of looked at her and said, look, if you just get a divorce now, if you divorce him right now, here's what's gonna happen. He's gonna be glad that you're gone. And yeah, you, there might be some hurt, but it's just gonna, it's gonna happen fast. You, if you really wanna hurt him, this is what I suggest you do. What I suggest you do is that you, we draw up the papers now, but date them for six months from now. And then, and then what, I, what you need to do is go home and be the wife of his dreams. Encourage him, compliment him, recognize his needs, try to meet his needs, just, just do that for the next six months. And then after six months is up, we'll jerk the rug out from under him, serve him the divorce papers. He'll never see what, see what was coming. She thought, hmm, that's brilliant. That's amazing. I'll do that. So that's exactly what they, they drew up the papers. They created the, the arrangements. Six months later, this attorney calls her to ask, hey, are you ready to, to serve the papers? And this is what she said. You'll never believe this. We've fallen in love again. I know a story like this is kind of simplistic. It's not nuanced enough. Like you hear me tell this story and you think, yeah, Rich, that's so easy. I get it. But I dare you to try it. I dare you to fight for your marriage. I dare you to love that person even though it seems like your marriage is falling apart and see what God can do. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not get tired in doing what is good at just the right time. Whereas Paul is encouraging us, listen, sometimes doing good is tiresome. Sometimes doing good is just, it just, it takes all the energy out of us He said, let us not get tired in doing good, what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up or if we don't quit. 
there's a study at the University of Chicago about, uh, they studied two, it was two groups, marriages that were, um, that were based, all these marriages were classified as, as in very, very difficult circumstances. They were very unhappy. And so the, after the study, it, it was, and it was a longitudinal study, so it was for over many years. After the study, what they discovered is eight out of 10 of the couples who came to the, were a part of this study, and they came very unhappy, eight out of 10 of those couples who, who did not quit on their marriage, did not divorce, five years later reported that they were happily married. Okay, eight out of 10, 80% of the couples reported that they were happily married after five years. On the other hand, seven out of 10 couples who uh, took the route of divorce, they reported five years, seven out of 10 reported five years later that they wish, they regret not working harder for the marriage. And the conclusion of the study was that sometimes the most important thing you can do for your marriage is to not quit, to not give up. Now, as I'm talking about this, I realize that every, every marriage has a story. And every one of us will come and say, yeah, Rich, but you don't understand my story. I know what's going to happen. I know that, I know that, um, that maybe this week I'm going to receive an email because you watched this online. And I'm going to receive an email or I might get a phone call and you're going to say, Rich... I hear what you're saying, but you just don't understand. I, I married the wrong person. I mean, I mean, I wasn't serving God when I married this person, and I, and I just did it impulsively, and, and here we are, and I'm not happy. They're not happy. Things aren't going well, and, and Rich, if I, could just, if I could just get out of it, I could get back on track with God's will for my life. I could just start doing the, going in the right direction if, I, if this thing just ends, because I just married the wrong person. This is not how God's will works. The beautiful thing about God's will is that it's not static, it's dynamic. God's will isn't about there's one person out there and if you find them and you're gonna have to just live this straight road and then you've really fulfilled God's will. That's not how it works. God's will is dynamic. It's always working. There's no, no matter what situation you're in, no matter where your marriage stands, no matter what you've done, God's will can meet you right there where you are. That's God's will. That we can come to him. And he can take our broken pieces and he can bring, in fact, he says, bring me your broken pieces. I do my best work with the brokenness of your current marriage. So I'm just asking you before you quit, will you surrender your pieces to him? Will you surround yourself with Christian brothers and sisters who are gonna speak life into you, who are gonna encourage you, who are not gonna stand there on the side and say, yeah, you should, you should ditch that guy or you should ditch that, that girl. or yeah, you know, Instead, they're gonna be there with God's word, encouraging you and standing with you. Will you surround yourself with Christian brothers and sisters? Will you get connected to, to the body of Christ? Will you, you can, there's a lot of activities that we have here at Life Church. would encourage you to just jump into some of those. Will you do that and see what God will do? Right now, I'm not offering you a prescription. 
I'm saying if you're hanging on, barely hanging on, what I'm suggesting to you is just to put, fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn the story around of your life and fight, fight, fight for your marriage. Amen, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, right now, as, as people are watching this, uh, this message, whether they're sitting in their living room or whether they're sitting uh, at a coffee shop or whether it's gotten so bad that they've moved out and now they're living with a, a relative or a friend and they're watching this message, God, I'm just asking that you will intervene. That God, we as faithful followers of you, Jesus, would just give you all of the pieces, the broken pieces of our life, the broken pieces of our marriage. That we will look on the inside and we'll say, God, will you, will you work inside of me? I know that he has a lot of work that needs to be done in him, but God, will you work inside of me? Will you change me? Will you make me more like you, Jesus? Father, we want the living water in us, flowing through us. And we know, Father, you want to do miracles in our life. And especially today, Father, you want to do miracles in the marriages that are watching this message right now. So, God, I'm asking you that you will step in, that you will intervene, that, God, you will do the miracle. In Jesus' name. 